What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. After two years, I finally pulled one off in person. Um, definitely got to figure out a way to do this more often. It changes the dynamic completely. And I'm not sure I'll be able to have every episode that way. I mean, a lot of people from all over the place and, you know, getting them to Pittsburgh might not be the easiest tasks, but where it's possible, I definitely am going to push to do that. And really, really looking forward to more conversations like the one that I had today. Um, really quickly as well, if you can subscribe to the podcast, do me that favor, click the subscribe button on whatever platform it is that you listen on and follow along on social media at that curious Jones. I just got a badass message from a dude in Gambia, Africa. We literally actually video chatted. Don't fucking ask. It's a crazy story. Um, but go follow on social media and reach out. Let me know what you're thinking, what episodes you like. Um, I appreciate it a ton. So my guest today is actually my jujitsu instructor. He's the founder and owner of Stout PGH in Pittsburgh, where we have three locations, or he has three locations, one downtown, one up in my neck of the woods in the North Hills, and one out in Monroeville, east of Pittsburgh. Um, he's a black belt under Henzo Gracie. He really changed my life two years ago. I had him on the podcast, episode 16, and he challenged me to get my ass back to jujitsu. And um, he was gracious enough to spend some time with me for some private lessons. And I did. I, I followed that advice and I got myself back involved in jujitsu. And two years later, I just was promoted to blue belt and it's made a huge impact. I talk about it constantly on this podcast. So what a pleasure to have Warren here today and to kind of catch up on what this last two years has been like for me, for him. And we talked about a bunch of other stuff too. I really enjoyed this episode a lot. And I think you're going to enjoy it as well. Give it up for my guest, Warren Stout. But before we enjoy the podcast, a quick shout out to the sponsor of every episode, Action Specialty Roast Coffee and Natural Supplements. If you head to the website, drinkaction.com, and that's spelled action with a K and you sign up for a subscription, you'll save 20% off your monthly order. And if you use code word curious, you'll save 15% off the first order. In addition to that 20% off, you're basically not paying for your first month of product. It's a, a great deal. Head to the website, drinkaction.com, use code word curious, sign up for a subscription and enjoy this episode. Actually, two years of like talking to people with a computer screen. In front I know of it's it's. I like talking in person. It seems uh, just more natural, you know. I feel yeah. like you can have more back and forth. Yeah. The Zoom's been good for me and like forcing me to listen to people because you can't interject in the middle of their thoughts because it's like a second lag and then they're stopping and it's like talking over. It's just disastrous. But this type of stuff, it's like real human interaction. Yeah. We found that with like team meetings, it was kind of interesting. I don't like, there's things I don't like about Zoom, but it does, you know, it's when you get a team, uh, like our, our team, you know, our instructors or, or, you know, employees and stuff, when we meet, we, uh, you know, sometimes everybody talks over each other and Zoom, you can't do that. So it's, it's mm -hmm. kind of nice, but it's also, I, that said, I'd, I'd still rather do stuff in person. I think you lose too much with the digital you yeah. know the online it's a little bit harder so um just uh, it's cool to that i'm i'm your first uh in-person one for curious jones yeah dude no it's i can't believe i've let it go two years it just gets so comfortable but i mean dude if anybody i'm glad that it's you i owe you like i was saying before we kind of kicked this thing off live i was trying to think back when it was that i had you on the podcast i think it was in the summer of 2020 during the pandemic yeah because it was so. like episode 16 we're closing on 100 so wow and i started it in may so it was like end of july 
and I had done things in the past. I had actually trained it when you guys were in Cranberry, like right when I first moved to this location and hurt my neck and got away from it and just allowed life to kind of take over. And I remember you were like, why don't you come do some privates, which, you know, ironic, you're heading to go and do some today, but it, it honestly has changed my life the last two years. And I, I owe you a huge debt of gratitude for that. Well, I think the podcast that we did in 2020 was the impetus for that, right? Like, I mean, I, I remember you from before and, and like I, I talked about in the last podcast, I'd already been drinking your coffee kind of like independently. I found it, you know, without, without knowing it was yours. And uh, I, I think I drank too much the morning of our other podcast. I was a little, little yeah, bit you hyper. said that you had hammered like a whole, like two or three cups of like <laughs> high caffeinated. Let, let's call it, let's call it three big cups. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I, uh, I'd already been drinking a coffee, but I, I thought it would be good for you to get back into it. And I'm really glad it's that you really got back into it hard. How, how's, how has it been? Um, I, I know it seems like you're enjoying it. You competed recently. Uh, how, how's it been coming back? Cause that's a big thing. I think a lot of people in jujitsu life takes them away. Something takes them away from it. And then, you know, they see their training partners have gotten a lot better or maybe they've moved on and, and they, uh, they never come back. And what, what's it been like for you to come back? You know, it was a real struggle at first. Initially, like the first couple of weeks, it was like, okay, this is fun. I'm back at it. And, you, and then you feel the pain after class and you're like, okay, yeah, this will get better. This will get easier. But for me, I think even it got exacerbated by the fact that I had two kids, Yeah, you know? So it's like, life is busy already. I'm working a, a job outside of this. I've got the coffee company as well, doing the podcast. So like adding something else that requires like complete focus, at least during the time, you know, to take an hour and a half getting up to Zeely it started to be like week three, week four. I'm like, okay, how do I arrange my life into a way that I can keep doing this? Yeah. And I don't know if that's where people fall off where they probably still want to keep going, but how do I do that when I've got work until five 30 and you know, it's not always easy, but thankfully, I mean, the class schedules have been flexible enough for me to be able to, if I got to go early in the morning because I have something later that night, I've got that availability. And my wife, thankfully is like super cool about letting me do that. But once I got to that point and it was like six months in, like if I go a week and I'm not there, I'm like, what am I missing? And then you roll with people too. And like early in the journey, the the leaps are so fast that it's like, I, when I hurt my knee, I took uh, like a couple months off, um, probably six months into everything. And when I came back, guys that I had started with were like manhandling me. And I'm like, uh-huh. oh boy, like this, this can't happen. I got to stay with it. Well, so, so that's a little bit different attitude than I see some people take. Uh, you, instead of saying, oh, it's hopeless and these guys have gotten so much better because I was out for a month, you, you kind of, I mean, that, that's just your personal mentality. You're going to, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back to where I need to be and, you know, get yeah. better. That's competitiveness. You know, I think I have that also. I think what, what I'm like even more interested in, though, is what made you that after that first three weeks, mm-hmm. what what value did you see in it? What, um, because you had to see something because like what you just described is probably on the extreme end, in my opinion of like, you know, you get a lot of people, like I said, that come, they, they maybe they come back, even come back for a little bit and then they fall off at that point at that, yeah. or, you know, it's kind of like one of those things where you make an assessment in your mind and you say, I have all this going on. This is the thing I need to cut. Mm-hmm. why did you make a different decision there? Do you, do you know why? Um, I think I, I forced myself to get involved. I like, I think the first time I didn't have people who I felt like were going to call me out for not being there. Oh, okay. So when I went back into it, that was actually something I proactively told myself. I was like, okay, you, you've got to become a part of this group of people. Like you, you can't just go there, not interact, be quiet, because when it gets hard, it's easy to bow out that way. So I, I tried to do that. And so like, you know, having you on the podcast was like probably subconsciously, even like my way of trying to get back into it. And it's like, yeah. okay, I'm going to get to know this guy. And then how am I going to bail? Like, and you know, I would check in with you. Yes. I mean, you have, yeah. you, I mean, you know what I mean? And that's the cool thing. I think, you know, we've got private chat groups for all the guys up in Zealy, and it's just yeah. like, Hey, haven't seen you in a while. So there's that camaraderie. Um, 
but I think big for me, like I was always into sports my whole life, you know, and I missed that, that camaraderie, the team aspect, the competitiveness, the pushing myself. And I found that with jujitsu again, but it relates to life. And that's where I think like, as you mature, life isn't all about baseball games anymore. It's like, Oh God, I've got bills. I've got, you know, family problems. There's death. There's all kinds of horrible shit. You got to figure out how to get through it. Yeah. And I've also found a lot of what I've learned in jujitsu is like, you have to solve the problem that's directly in front of you. And then like step-by-step, like now move on to the next. And you've got to kind of have division around the corner to know what possibly be, could be coming. But that I feel like has helped me organize my life too. Like I've changed my approach of how I deal with things yeah. because of jujitsu. So I, I think I do the same thing. I, I see things through so much uh, and through the lens of jujitsu and, and it's not as, you know, z- jujitsu and, and there's a sense where it's a zero sum game, right? Like whatever's good for me is bad for my opponent and vice versa. But I think the way that, that, that I look at life through the jujitsu frame is not necessarily a zero sum way. It's more of a, like what you just said, a problem solving way. And this sound, this gets into stuff that to me sounds almost like, you know, people probably listen like, well, whatever, you know, like he's, they're, they're, they're overextending this to, because they love the activity. And I would say that too, but when you really do it and, and you, you live it, I, I see, I start looking for that all the time. Like, Oh, how, how am I using the jujitsu lens to look at this life situation? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it really does change it. It changes how you look at it. And I guess the best way I could try to articulate is you, what you just, what you just said pretty well is you look at a problem, how, how it exists right now, and you pragmatically try to solve it. And it jujitsu drills that into you every day. And and it's so immediate. And so, you know, you can't get away from that. You can, it's not about overthinking, but you have to think through it. It's not about, um, you know, uh, it doesn't matter what your preconceived notions are about a position. You just have to get out of it. You know, like you can think, Oh, this is weird. Or this is, um, it'll be easy for me to get out because I'm a black belt and this guy's a purple belt or whatever it is, but that doesn't matter, you know, in this situation. And that to me translates into, into, um, into life in a really, uh, almost subconscious way. Mm-hmm. So that that's, that's, uh, I think, really cool. And that's something that people won't see in jujitsu until you push through like what you did until you, until you, um, you know, decide that, because you don't see that value right away. That's not something you see right away. You might get in shape in a couple of weeks, you might, like you said, meet, meet people, the camaraderie. I think that's very important, really interesting that you said that because uh, um, I think I think as a, as a school owner and an advocate for jujitsu, I would like to promote that more creating communities within, I mean, we, we have a big school, we have, mm-hmm. you know, hundreds, thousands of members, but, but hundreds of jujitsu members and, and not everybody knows everybody, but you do know your group, you know, you know, your community, you know, the people you train with, and that's super important. Um, mm-hmm. I think taking that onto the mats in a way, um, one of my, teachers, my main teacher, Sean Williams, really said this great. And if, if you guys are out there, jujitsu or other combat sports, wrestling, uh, Thai boxing, boxing, um, Sean said, you earn your training partners. And I think, I think you have to always keep that in mind. That's one of those mantras that I think that you need to, you say every day when you're in, in jujitsu. So it's, you know, it's jujitsu is an activity where it's super individual, but at the same time, it's, it's essential that you have training partners. You know, it's, it, you can't get better at jujitsu doing solo drills. It, I mean, they, they can help to, to some degree, but you can't and you need partners. So you earn your training partners. That took a whole new meaning to me too. Cause I've, I've heard that. I've heard you say that early. Yeah. I've heard other people say that. And initially I was like, Oh, you gotta, you gotta be respectful. You gotta, you know, not go in there to kill your training partner. I kind of like initially interpreted it that way. But as I've gotten involved in this, it's so much different. And now yeah. I look at it, it's like, how do you call somebody out when they're when you're drilling and they're not taking it serious? Like earning your training partner that way. I know that For there's sure. a couple of guys. It's like we train together because we know we're going to drill properly. And if somebody's, you know, hey, you got to get your post in there. Yeah. And it's it's why we're all progressing. And it's kind of cool to see that too. You know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 
that's a really interesting because I totally looked at that differently. Yeah. And, and uh, how did you feel competing? I know you were oh. in the competition uh, recently and you, you did pretty well. <laughs> how did yeah. you feel? Um, it was it getting was, back into competition. I knew you competed a lot before. Yeah, no, it was, it was interesting, man. Like definitely a lot of nerves when I got there. Um, my first match was a no-gi match and it was like, I, you just don't know. It's like, I don't know who this guy is. What, you know, I'm, I think I'm pretty confident you're, you're matched up obviously with skill level and age and, it was uh, a quick, I got a rear naked in my first one, like really quick. And um, then I went over to do no gi or to do a gi match and Tanner signed me up for absolute. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, um, I'm in my gi match and they're calling my name. And so I'm like, get out of that. I go change into my no gi. I go over, I have another no gi match and I'm like breathing through a straw. <laughs> and it was at that point in time where I was like, okay, number one, it's so much different than even open mat. Like yeah, the sure. first time, the first guy, I mean, I kind of, it was a very simple match. Um, the, the next one in absolute, I mean, it was, I think I won six Oh on points, but he was definitely more experienced than me. And he was like super aggressive. And when we locked up, I'm like, was he a lot bigger too? I mean, yeah, I, he was I, the absolute division for, you know, people listening that don't know is, is uh, it's usually the, the, there's no weight classes. So, you know, people like Justin and I can go in and, uh, you know, compete with, sometimes we compete with really big opponents. So yeah, there was a couple big boys in there that thankfully I, I avoided or maybe not. Thankfully it could have been a pretty good experience, but the guy that I, I won on points, he was one ninety. Yeah. I weighed in one sixty nine, So I was okay. 20 pounds lighter. Um, he was the only guy there with no shirt on. <laughs> um, and like he, he had like the video is so funny. Cause like, he's staring at me, his eyes are all big and I'm just like, okay, this he, he's trying to psych me out. And then we like locked up and it, it ended up being really good, but I learned so much in that. Yeah. Um, I felt like I learned more in a five minute match than I did in like, you know, two months of training because everything was like, you have to, like, you have to dig into that toolbox now and apply the things that you've been trying to learn. Yeah. And putting it under pressure, it gives you the confidence of like, Oh, okay. I actually, I did know how to do that. Like, Oh, awesome. I got an underhook there and I did a snap down and I, you, you stop thinking and you just start doing, Yeah. you know? And then you reflect afterwards and yes. like you see what you said, like, Oh, this, that worked, this worked really well. Yep. Um, or yeah. what was I doing there? Like, yeah. you know, there's a couple of those where I'm like, what was I thinking? Like, <laughs> And if he knew what I was doing, like he would have, he would have fucked me up right there. I, I think one of the things about that, why, just to kind of speak to what you just said about competition being a, uh, like a great learning experience. And I, I feel the same way, by the way, just a second that I think, you know, you, it's, you remember it so much more because, because I, I think the main thing is you place so much more importance on it. You know, like every day you go into open mat and, and that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that you have to, you know, make every round an open mat, like, the end you know super important or whatever but i i do think that when you place a lot of importance on competition for whatever reason it is you because everybody does it uh you you pay more attention you know you're you even if you're reacting subconsciously there's that subconscious attention to what you're doing at a different level than you do often do an open mat and things like that and that's what i think seminars have an element of that too you know that's why i always argue um i think now there's there, when I first started jujitsu seminars were a, a, a bit, I think a bigger thing than they are now. Not that there's, there's big seminars now there's, there's great people doing seminars, but I feel like it's kind of fallen away a little bit because of the overwhelming volume of great instructionals that are out there. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's the main reason, but, and probably just more, there's more access to good jujitsu players as far as people wanting to do seminars. But I think one of the reasons why seminars I've, I've learned so much in, in various seminars is because just because you place more importance on it, you pay more attention, mm -hmm. you're more focused than you are in every everyday class. So, you know, anytime that situation, you can create that, that's good. I think, I don't think that's the only thing about competition that's important. I think just, just seeing how you react, like you said, under pressure mm -hmm. as well is something that's hard to get. And I think that's important. I, I, and I'm not, I'm not saying everybody should compete. Uh, I think jujitsu competition is more accessible than probably any other combat sport. And I can say that, I, I think that's a, an accurate statement just mm -hmm. because of a couple things. I think one thing 
there's age groups, like you said, there's belt levels and there's age groups and there's weight classes. So you're really going to be paired with somebody who at least on the surface has similar qualifications and things to you, uh, where that's not always the case with other sports. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, there's less chance of head injury than there is in striking sports. That's another thing. Um, and I think, um, I think one of the other things with jujitsu, it's a little bit more subtle, but if you look at wrestling, like in some countries, adults participate more in wrestling, uh, judo, um, wrestling and judo have big movements. There's weight bearing on your joints. Um, and I, I just think there's more risk of injury. And as you get older, that's less and less what people are interested in risking. Mm. And I think that that's, so yeah, if you, if you are interested in competing at all in jujitsu, not that you have to, I mean, the majority of our students don't compete other than in the room. And that's great. That's a form of competition also. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't need to go out and go to a tournament to, to be competitive in jujitsu. You can just train it up, do, do a live round, do a train it open mat, things like that. But if you are interested, it is a very different experience like you talked about. Oh, so much different. Mm-hmm. I even think for me too, it was like, okay, I'm coming to the end. Of, I've been doing this now for two years. I feel like I'm getting close to the next step but I needed that validation. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's one thing to have the people around you, your coaches say, Hey, you're progressing. Yeah. And that's, that's feels so cool when that happens, but you want to go out there and see how you stack up against, against the other guys. Field, right? And you're just like, yeah, okay. So they told me that, but if I go and lose everybody, like that's not going to make me feel like I've really accomplished much. So needing that validation for myself was, was big yeah. as well too. I think for me competing, um, I had, I had a feeling like that when I got, when Henzo gave my black belt, uh, I got my black belt in 2010 uh, from Henzo Gracie. All my other teachers were there. It was was an awesome experience. Some of my students were here, uh, were there. Um, I've given out a few black belts and I think all the ones I've given out now were at my own, you know, black belt ceremony or awards, whatever, whatever you call it. But, but anyway, when I got it, I had this feeling that I was, um, not undeserving. That's not the right word, but I, I felt like I needed to live up to it. I need to prove, I need to prove it to myself because I mean, when Henzo Gracie gives you a belt, it's, I, I, Henzo Gracie knows what he's doing. I think, I don't think anybody would argue with that, whether you like him or don't like him. Uh, he's an expert in jujitsu by any standard. And so Henzo and, and, and the rest of his crew, you know, Sean Williams was there. My first teacher Hollis was there. Uh, Daniel Gracie was there. Carl Pravick was there. Um, you, you know, Sean Williams, of course, I think I mentioned him. Uh, I'm trying to make sure I didn't forget anybody, but uh, John Danaher was there, uh, which was kind of rare for those ceremonies, actually. But so I talked to all those people before and after. I think I rolled with some of them before the ceremony because we were kind of sitting around. We trained a little bit. And so, so I, I felt comfortable just at those guys um, you know, felt that I was at that level, but then there's something I needed to prove to myself. Mm-hmm. It's still at that point. And so I kind of went on a, a lot of, I did a lot of competition right after that. And, um, I, I would say mixed success, honestly. I, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I placed in what at the time was one of the big gi tournaments in Miami open in the absolute division, lost to ADCC, ADCC champ, uh, cyborg. Oh, uh, no shit. And yeah. And then, I, uh, I placed in the pan in, um, in Nogi pans at adult black belt. And, uh, and that I beat, um, a guy who was very good, uh, uh, from cyborg school. He had won, he won both, uh, East and West coast, uh, 80 CC trials back then, which to be fair. Yeah, it was a great. Now they don't let you do both if you win. And the trials were nothing like they are now. Uh, to be honest, like uh, that, that, but you know, he was a, he, I think he was a brown belt world champ as well. And, and uh, so I beat him and then I lost to another ADCC champ, uh, it, Davi Ramos. So, you know, I, and I did a couple other tournaments and, you know, ha- had some success and, and some, some law, but, but the, my losses were to these really good people. And, and I think that that did, I, I felt like it va- at least validated me where I was at at that time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like it's a new black belt. If you're, uh, I was losing, I was losing, which, you know, I'm very competitive. I didn't like it, but, uh, and I was, I think I was 33 at the time, 32. 
so, you know, I wasn't old, I wasn't young, but, um, but I was that, that I felt like that's what I needed to do. I needed to validate myself. So that's why I wanted to get out there and compete. And, uh, I think I did sort of, you know, it didn't, it wasn't exactly the results I wanted, but I validated, I, sh I not only was a black belt, like, you know, Henzo said I was a black belt, but I was also in that group of competitors in that national level group of competitors. And I think it's interesting. I, I so much hope that some of my students, I, I, I think that some of them could definitely do it as soon as this year. Um, but nobody in this greater Pittsburgh area has placed in an adult major, uh, adult IBGJF black belt tournament since then. Uh, so, you know, it's been, it's been almost 12, I think 11 years now. Wow. And, uh, I, um, I feel like as a coach, I would love to see people exceed, especially what I've done in competition. Um, and, uh, you know, set out a legacy for this area, for Pittsburgh. We've had some great wins. We've had some people do well on national level, but I just like to see people get to that really top level, you know, win a, mm -hmm. win a world, a pans, uh, you know, exceed what, what I did, you know, like that's, I wasn't ever a you know spectacular competitor, but I, I'd like to, I really believe that we're going to have people to do that. You know, as, as a, as I a see a handful, man, it's like a couple, <laughs> even some of the lower belts. It's like, if some of these guys keep going, Christian, is, Christian's a great, I'm just like, this kid yeah. is just every corner. You can, he's got it covered, man. It's like, he's so spectacular. Yeah. And he's, he has a lot of attributes. We're talking about Christian. He's competing in worlds pretty soon. He just turned 18. Um, and uh, he um, just a great competitor. And he's now competing against the adults. And uh, he's somebody who I think has the potential to be a world champion. He, he trains in both Gi and Nogi. He hasn't really specialized in either of those yet. Um, and he just really has, he's solid in all areas of jujitsu. And he has some areas he's really, really good at, which I'd like to develop even more. But uh, yeah, he's one of them I'm really excited about. So hopefully uh, look out for him. Christian uh, at Worlds, he's competing pretty soon. So that's awesome. What do you recall? Like, did you know from the moment you got your blue belt, or at what point were you like, okay, this is a journey that I want to stay with this and make this my life? Or were you kind of there? Because you, I know you went down to actually train in Central. We talked about that in the last podcast. So that in and of itself could have been the trigger, but it's a long road to get to that black belt. Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, just as I'm sitting here thinking about it, it wasn't exactly that. I mean, it wasn't, I think, I think I've always had a, a like a deep love for grappling that was instilled in when I was a kid, I started wrestling. My family was particularly my mom's side of family. My, my grandfather, Les Turner was a, an exceptional wrestling coach. Um, and I think everybody that's interacted with him would concur with that i mean he's you know he's in a pennsylvania hall of fame but he was he was a great uh, really good wrestler himself and just a great coach and i think i think that influenced me a lot and i think just my personality i've always loved like i remember like one defining moment when i it just as i think about it when i was in junior high I, I looked at a book and i'm trying to think of the name um the guy uh that was a wrestler lee kemp had a book i think <laughs> a little very old old instructional book with pictures and so i'm looking my grandfather had it and i was looking through it and i saw a technique on it a setup and i was like hmm. and i and i wasn't very good at wrestling actually i wasn't uh i wasn't one of those people that just took to it naturally i i was a, I had a losing record and i was in junior high and uh i i was like i'm gonna try this technique that i saw in this book in, in a match and I did, and it worked. And something with that, I think, I think that very much that moment, uh, there's many others, but that that's one time when it clicked and I was like, wow, this is so powerful. I can have agency. I can, I took it upon myself. I looked in a book, I tried this technique and it worked and, and I can influence the outcome. You know, it doesn't matter what anyone says, you know, my, whether my, whether my teachers say I'm good, whether my coach says I'm a good wrestler, I can do things on my own with my own agency. And I think that was, that was just one example of that, but uh, mm -hmm. that, that was really powerful for me. Um, as far as like your question going fast forwarding a little bit to jujitsu. Uh, 
I think it was something that it, it almost, you know, there were times in my life when, when I almost wanted or thought I should, or almost wanted to get away from it. You know, you get in that thing in your early twenties, when you're kind of launching into a career, I was, in my case, I was, a you know, looking at finance jobs and, you know, I, was mm. in, I, I briefly did a little stint on the New York stock exchange and, you know, things like that. And, and, and there's these, all these voices and saying, Oh, you should do this or you mm. should. And, and it was almost like I wanted it. it I, I almost consciously, I was like, oh, I should, I should stop grappling every day and stuff like that. But it kept kind of drawing me back in, I think, because that's what I, genuine i enjoyed doing you know to, uh, in, a, in a lot of ways and i think that i think that um that that's what it was it, it more it more called me back i was gonna ask you do you feel like it's a like a calling i i do yeah i do it just i i i can't like even the times like i said when i wanted to get away from it i just felt almost like i don't even know how else to say it like a pull like it's pulling me back in and uh uh, I think one, another great example of that was, so I decided I quit working on wall street and I decided, you know, I was kind of like not, I, I had another job, a corporate job there in New York or in New York area. And I decided to move to Costa Rica. And I think my intent was not to, you know, go and do jujitsu all the time. My intent was to go see what's out there. You know, I'm in my twenties. I, you know, I wanted to, I uh, came from uh, sort of similar to you background. I, I came from a, an area, rural, kind of rural, small town area. And Did you grew up in Brockway area? Uh, I, around, no, I never went to Brockway, but that same Brookville, Brookville. I went to Brookville High School, which is the same, okay. same yeah, area, yeah. Uh, rural, small town. Um, and I, I went to some other schools, you know, rural schools, we kind of moved around, but, uh, but I, um, <clears throat> yeah, so, so I went down to Costa Rica with the idea of like, let's see what's out there. I want to see something different in the world. I want to, you know, experience something that's completely different. That was really my main goal. And, but then I got back into jujitsu and that was really the impetus for everything that happened. And I loved it. That was a great time for me training jujitsu. I, I found a, a high and Gracie black belt and uh, put, got, got a hold of a little bit of a few puzzle mats and me and my roommate put those outside of our house. And I trained, you know, five, six days a week, a lot of times. And, and, uh, didn't have as many other responsibilities. So it turned into, and everything good that happened to me in Costa Rica, uh, I, I want to say almost without exception, had either a direct or indirect connection to jujitsu, people I met, uh, you know, everything. And, and, uh, and it made me that, I think that's the reason I stayed there so long was because I had such a great jujitsu situation. So that's another example. It just kind of sucked me back in. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's why, um, so, so that's, that's kind of been my journey. And then another, I think another turning point was really important for me was I moved, when I moved back to Pennsylvania, I moved from LA and I was, um, you know, uh, I was working in a jiu-jitsu school. I was competing once a month, you know, back then there weren't as many tournaments, but there were in California. So that was one of the appeals of living there. Mm -hmm. Well, I moved back to Pennsylvania for, you know, several reasons. I'd gotten married, uh, my family, uh, business, uh, a bunch of, bunch of things like that. And, uh, and I got there and I was kind of like, Oh, there's not really jujitsu the way, what I'm used to, you know, it's, you know, it's hard to find anywhere like Sean Williams's schools, but, uh, but just any training. And I, I was driving all over the place, trying to find training. And I said, I said, I, I thought, I think I need to start a school to, to, if I'm going to keep this journey going. And that was really the impetus to start the school, started the first little school. I was still working all day and, uh, and then I, I train and teach at the school. And, uh, it wasn't just jujitsu, it was MMA too. I was at that time I was, I was fighting amateur MMA and, uh, and, and that was part of it also. And I, it just, it just kept growing and it was a good time. It was a really like a lucky time to start in this area. And, uh, and, and then that took on um, sort of, you know, as it grew, it took on a life of its own in a way where um, it, it pulled me along as, as much as I pushed, pushed it along, you know, so that allowed me to keep the journey going. So I hope, is, does that, is that kind of what you're thinking as far as like my journey? Right? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I was hoping you weren't going to tell me, you know, it was, 
well, I went down to Costa Rica, you know, started doing it. And like, from that moment realized like, this was my, my calling. Like, I think mainly because I want to know that I'm, because there's days where I get up and to your point, I'm just like, yeah, fuck. like, yeah. do I need to do this three days a week still? Like, <laughs> you know, and then it's like quickly I, I come back and I'm like, no, I should, if I'm thinking that I should probably do it four days a week. Yeah. And like maybe like I, I'm that I'm wired. That's probably wired. broken. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm just like, uh, let's go towards Double the down. discomfort, yeah. you know, but that's always led me to the best outcomes. And I think I talked about this on a past podcast and it got brought up um, and it made me think about it again, but I'd heard it somewhere and I shared that you need friction in the world, you know, the same way like a car needs friction to stay on the road. You know, if, if you didn't have that friction, you'd never be able to control it. And I, I think that's what the discomfort is for me. It's like, I, there has to be something there pushing back a little bit in order for me to grab a hold of it. It's like drilling, like, yeah. you know, it's like hard to drill sometimes unless you get a little bit of active resistance. It's like, Hey, this isn't how it's going to be. Yeah. To me, it's the same thing with life with, you know, difficult things. So. Yeah. And, and I, I guess, I guess what it was for me was, I, I think there was, if there's anything I could say as far as like what kept me in it or, or, you know, whether it's, whether that's a, a great thing or not a good thing. I, I think it's, it's been pretty good for me, but I, I think it was a level of honesty, you know, like you, you have all, you know, there's always other people telling you what you should be doing or, um, you know, even your own internal voices sometimes conflict, you know, this is what you should do. This is what you should do. And I think jujitsu for me, I think being honest about, about what you want to do and why you want to do it. And, and I, I always, I, I am, I think, kind of an introspective person in that. And I constantly had those, you know, those thoughts throughout the jujitsu journey. You know, it wasn't like I woke up one day and I was like, 100%, I'm doing this for the rest mm -hmm. of my life. That wasn't it, you know, and, but, and it's even now, you know, like there's, there's, I have dialogues like that, like, what should I be doing with this? How much should I be focusing on my own competition at, you know, I'm 43, almost 44. Uh, versus coaching other people, building up the school's business side and, and things like that. And, uh, and even just other responsibilities in life that I have now. Uh, so, you know, there's always that, that dialogue, but I think for me, it's, it has been at least, you know, in a really honest assessment, this is what I want to do. This is what I like to do. And fortunately I've found a way that I can do that without completely letting go like you know making a living for example mm -hmm. you know like uh making a living that i'm comfortable with you know uh so i found a way to do that and i think i think that that's been a big part of the journey too you know you, you, it's not always like you you talked about family responsibilities how do you square that with doing jujitsu i think that's where a lot of people fall off, maybe they like it, but they're like, Oh, I don't know how to do this with, with the other things. And I think I've, I've always made an effort to be, you know, creative and, and, and honestly, I've had some, uh, quite a bit of luck too. You know, I think one of my favorite books about marketing is the 22 immutable laws of marketing. And uh, it talks about, um, you know, like, like some, some of that's like being, being first is sometimes better than being the best. You know, and and uh, that it, that's just one of the things I always think about is real simple principle. But you know, we we started at a great time in Pittsburgh, and uh, and I don't discount that. You know, like like it, it, I think you know I think we're the best also in a lot of different categories. I mean, some of some of those are objective, and some of them are not as objective. But uh, I, I think that I, but I but I think you know we were very early, and that that helps. You know, mm -hmm. and it's helped, it helped me the timing of it. Um, be able to do this and make a living and form a good team that I can, I can run the schools and, and also a team that I'm comfortable with to actually teach real jujitsu. So that's, that's, uh, did you feel a pop like four or five years ago or like, it seems like, I don't know if it was Rogan or what, like UFC popularity now mainstream on ESPN, but there was a shift. And I feel like it caught me initially when I showed back up in Cranberry like four or five years ago that jujitsu just became wildly popular. Yeah. I, I think that's continuing, honestly. I, I don't I think we're still on the upswing of of the popularity of jujitsu. I mean, 
I do think Joe Rogan was a big part of it. I think culturally he was a big part of it. Um, I think that, um, I think the UFC in general was a big part of it, which, you know, Joe's an announcer for the UFC, but I think, you know, in his, in his role as a podcaster, I think was a bigger part of he, that he played in that. But I also do think that the UFC itself, um, the UFC's emergence is a, is a world level, a world sport, right? Mm-hmm. I think that made a huge difference. Um, I think that, I think there was a, a certain sense too of inevitability um, uh, as grappling got more and more popular as the snowball built up. It, I think that it was just this trajectory where more people start talking about it. And then those people talk to other people about it, you know, just kind of like the way, same way referrals work in businesses mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, but on a bigger scale, on a societal scale and, and even internationally, uh, I know I, um, well, I started, you know, I, I talk, told this story before, but I, I started jujitsu in Brazil uh, with Hollis. And then later I moved to Costa Rica and talked about this on the other podcast. But one of the interesting things that I saw I go, I go to Costa Rica a lot and I run training camps in Costa Rica uh, at the beach, but I, um, there's so many schools in Costa Rica now. When I, when I was there, there was one school in Costa Rica. Really? It was uh, by luckily a high and Gracie school, which is Henzo's, Henzo's brother was high end, and one of his black belts had a school there. But now there's, I don't even know how many there are. There's probably, I mean, this isn't even an exaggeration. There's probably 40 jiu-jitsu schools in Costa Rica now. How many of them are like complete, like just not worth their salt? Or is it a lot of qualified? I think, I think there's probably, I would, I would go the other way with that. Cause it is, you're right about that. There's, it's like everywhere, you know, there's, yeah. there's a spectrum, right? I, I always think there's a spectrum of, of jujitsu schools, mixed martial arts schools, whatever it is. There's, there's the complete fraud. Mm-hmm. And then there's the 100% legitimate, like producing world class competitors, and then then there's maybe another direction that schools go into where where they're you know being a little bit more inclusive. Um, but I, I think in Costa Rica, there's probably I would say a handful of of good schools, you know, and mm-hmm. then probably another handful of marginal ones, and then the rest are probably stay away garbage yeah uh so you know but but there's it's surprising that there's just that's just one example a small Mm -hmm. country where it grew so much and so fast i I think with my schools i i really um i'm proud that when i first started i didn't know if you could make a school that had because there's almost this tension between a school where it's very inclusive meaning like you have a lot of, and, and that would mean you have a lot of members. And then there's on the other side is a school that produces world champion competitors. Think of like John Danaher's death squad. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you almost have these two extremes and I always wondered if you could create, or I always wanted to create something where you do, you have a group of competitors that are, that are good, but you also include people that don't have any interest in competing or have a marginal interest like like professionals that maybe would like to compete once in a while or uh and i think we've been able to do that pretty well uh it's always a um you know there's always a little bit of tension there and we have to keep navigating but i think we've done that pretty well here in Mm -hmm. pittsburgh um would i like to see us like i said before make some world champions yeah i would uh would i like to grow our student base i'm always trying to do that but but you have to balance there there is there is a balancing act between they all those. feed each other they too, can right? it's they like can. sometimes the, the the growth of the school comes from having a couple of those world champion athletes to give you a little bit of exposure but then to your point making sure you have programs where you're you know keeping people inclusive who don't want to go that route but yeah one definitely feeds the other but but it is then that that absolutely can be true I, I believe that and i think that's what we you see with with my schools with stout uh mm-hmm. stout pgh schools but but i also think that it's it's easier to just focus on one or the other of those two things right like if you if you're only focused on just just getting as many students as possible or you know building the business aspect of it or whatever you want however you want to like see that or if you're just focusing on you know you have 25 or 30 good competitors and that's and you go every day and all your mentality all your focus is on them uh as an individual or as a team of coaches that's different right yeah 
Makes sense that you take that approach though, right? I mean, it's just like jujitsu. If you just start flailing around and I'll go this way, go that. I mean, it's like a very thoughtful, like, okay, how, how am I going to approach this? Very practical and execute on it. Yeah. And focus, focus is important. And and whatever you focus on, you're going to get results like anything else. But, but I do think like, that's what I'm, I'm kind of getting at. I'm I'm probably not articulating it well, but I think our schools have done both of those. And Mm -hmm. I think, I honestly think that's somewhat unique, right? Like, I don't, I'm not going to say there's no other schools because there are, I know I could even name a few that I know of, but, but not to the, but it's, there's very few that to the degree that we have done that. Um, And I know a few others that have, and they've been successful in that same way, creating great competitors and creating a a big inclusive student base. Um, But, you know, it's, it's not easy just by the fact that not a lot of people have done it, you know? Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you, um, you've been gracious to introduce me to your brother, Randy. I've had him on. For those that don't know, go listen to the episodes I've done with him. He's a neuroscientist. He's a doctor of, of, I believe, cell biology of the brain, right? Yeah, he's he's a neurologist and he's, but he's, he's done so much. He's a director of of NIT's uh, innovation, medical innovation lab, which really takes him in all these different directions. Um, He one of his his specialties is imaging. I just spoke with him the other day, and he was down a, was down in Maryland, um, using one of I think there's only two of these type of microscopes in the United States, and they were having him down to look at some brain and heart tissue or something like that. But uh, yeah, he he's an amazing guy. He was at combat sports. Uh, you know, he he boxed when he was in his teens. He was a very good boxer. Uh, didn't didn't do a, a lot of boxing, but he, you know, had had some fights. And then he was. Um, uh, he was a very good wrestler, ranked as high as seventh in the country in Division One. Uh, wrestled for Cornell University, and among you know, while also doing a really hard academic program, and and honestly like partying more than he and anybody I know. So I don't know how he did that, but but he did. So yeah, great, really interesting guy. Yeah. yeah. And your other brother, Clint, I just saw was back in Alaska hunting. Yeah. It's like, and then Logan uh, and your sisters too, right? I have one sister, Logan, Logan's, uh, he's a works at, he's the manager of our biggest location and also pretty good competitor and a teacher of jujitsu 15 years younger than me. Um, he has, uh, he has at least one win over an adult world champion in competition. Uh, so he's, he's a good competitor and a great teacher um but he's a lot younger than me uh clint is really very different than the rest of us but he's he's always loved hunting since he's about two years old he's one of those guys that the opposite of what we just talked about he knew what he wanted to do when he was two and a half and that's all he's and that's on. all he's ever done as, as much as possible i mean he kind of did your brother's instagram feed is one of my favorites <laughs> like if you so if you listen to follow cam haynes right go follow Clint Stout for he's sure land. Yeah. I think he does like land management. So he's hunting, always hunting in the, land management. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's good. always in the woods. And I mean, the one day I look and he's got a, a, he had shot a bear and he's got a Rottweiler that looks like a bear. Yeah. It's like pulling the bear <laughs> out of the water. And I'm just like going through. And then I see he's packing out a moose in Alaska and he's holding a recurve bow. And I'm just like, I don't even, he's, I don't even know what's going on with this, but he's truly a great hunter. And you know, there's techniques and different people have favored techniques of hunting and things like that. And a lot of, I think his, he, he got influenced a lot by my dad, who's also a great hunter. Um, I've been hunting with this guy some and uh, uh, hunting isn't, isn't my thing, but when you go hunting with them, it's, and even some of the shows, the famous people you watch on TV, like I watch it and I'm like, that's a, the, that's the difference between like, for me, I'm a, I'm a, you know, blue belt in hunting or whatever. And, and, and those guys are like advanced black belts, you know, if you make that analogy and like Clint and my dad, both. And, and, uh, and sometimes I see the guys, you know, the more famous guys and, and I'm like, I think they're like, not at that level either. Like Clint's just, you know, he's been hunting since he was a a baby almost. Mm -hmm. And he, and he, and he's all over mostly North America, you know, all over North America, but he's a great hunter. And, uh, yeah, definitely follow that. And uh, he talks a little bit about his hunting philosophy on it too, as far as like technique and stuff. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, some of that's an art. You can't learn it. So like, I'll never be a hunter like him, but uh, he, he, there is some technique and different philosophies on how to hunt and they have their own. So that's, it's interesting. Um, and then, yeah. Oh no, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, and then, yeah. And then Randy went a completely different direction. He's, he's kind of like that too. He's kind of like what we talked to. He, he always wanted to be a scientist. He's since he was probably 
10 or 11. He's like, I want to be a scientist. You must want to be a scientist if you're going to focus to do well enough to be as accomplished as he is in his career, along with wrestling at a high level. And I know you mentioned the party. I mean, you've told me some stories and I <laughs> pestered him and he told me some stories and I'm like, how, how, like, I, yeah, I, I can't grapple with this, but yeah. I mean, what is it in the household that when you look at, and I don't know your sister, uh, but I would imagine, I mean, you guys have all been successful and I would imagine you can appreciate each other, even though to your point, you're a blue belt in hunting. I'm sure being that you're an expert in jujitsu, you can appreciate your brother being an expert in hunting or your yeah. brother being an expert in cell biology and neuroscience, you know, how, what was happening in that household to give you guys that focus? Um, that's a great question. I, I, I think one of the big things I think, uh, is well, a couple of my father, first of all, he always, and not, not by saying, but by doing, he just, just, had a license to not do the things that everybody else did, did the same way as everybody else did. And, you know, he's definitely has a lot of, as you get older, you see a lot of flaws and a lot of human flaws of people and stuff, but he, something so, so that I took from, I think almost ingrained subconsciously is you don't have to do things the way everybody else does. You, you can do things your own way. And, you know, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, but that's, it's okay. You can do that. And that's something I learned from him. I think that part, that might be part of it. And then on the, on the other side, my, my mom's side of the family, I think just, just instilling like really like that kind of, you know, like probably you've encountered a lot, like the rural Western Pennsylvania work ethic, you mm -hmm. know, like that you, that it's important to work hard to, you know, not be, not necessarily be flamboyant, just, just, just work and do, do the work, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I think they, they always instilled that in, in, in me. Um, and that's my mom's family, my grandfather, I guess I mentioned him before, um, you know, that they instilled that in us. So I think, I don't know, that's, I, I don't, I don't think that's a complete answer. I don't know if I, I can answer the question completely, but those things stand out in my mind as far as like, you know, my, my, how I was raised. And yeah. Like I mean, I had a feeling that you were going to say, your father. And that's the reason I ask, I mean, obviously it's impressive. I mean, you guys have all succeeded wildly at, at your crafts, right? Yeah. But it's as a father, you know, parenting, I'm like, okay, you think you've got it figured out. But to your point, as you get older, you start to see flaws in other people, but you also start appreciating the things that they that's slowly right. yeah. instilled in you. That's right. Um, yeah. And I think, I mean, gee, it's like, man, I woke up this morning. I didn't even know what had happened yesterday. It's like this horrible shooting down in Texas uh, yeah. and the world having all this stuff. And it's like, you can, and you'd be right, but you could go down every rabbit hole and tell you why guns are bad or this is bad. But at the end of the day, I mean, having strong role models, having father figures or somebody in children's lives that are instilling these base principles. Yeah. I don't know how we get back to a place like that, but it, those things, I mean, aside from making you a successful jujitsu practitioner or a doctor, they just make you good people who have respect for others. And I, I don't know where that's disappeared and if we'll ever be able to get back to it. But I think it's for me, like, and again, back to like the example of my dad, it's not so much what he said, like all the time. It's more like just seeing him and like going through life and seeing that's one of the things when I talk, like, like you're a father, I'm a father. And people say, well, I'm just I'm not going to do jujitsu or I'm not going to do whatever it is. I'm not going to go hunting anymore. I'm not going to, you know, uh, I'm not going to work on my car, whatever you like. I'm not going to play chess anymore. I'm not going to work because of my kids. And they see the focus and the kids see that. And that's, I, I think that's wrong. Mm -hmm. I, I think, I think that you, what you do is more impactful to your kids than anything you say or any, you know, anything you know and and if they see you following something that you're passionate about i think that i would like to think that they'll pick up on that now my son is, a, is an interesting example of that because he likes jujitsu he likes jujitsu and he's he's very good he's been training for a long time but uh he he doesn't love it what he loves is soccer and so i'm thinking about that i'm like he still has a passion for a sport and he see and he's intense and, and he's taught me a lot as far as about having confidence and things like that uh even though he's really young but um i i see that 
you know, him, him having that passion, I, I do think he probably picked up on seeing me going and, you know, me studying videos and training to really hard. He sees that he sees that and, and not just once in a while, he sees it all the time. And I think that he translates that not exactly the same sport, mm. but he translates I think some of that now he has things that I don't have. And, and like I said, yeah, I'm learning from him in some ways, but, but, but he takes that aspect that, that approach to soccer and he values it. And I think that's maybe I did influence him. I hope with it, with some of that, you know, at least with some of the passion. Um, so yeah, that's uh, I think parenting. I think if you, if you're, I see these parents, that's one of those things I see people say, well, I can't do jujitsu as much anymore because of my kids and, I say, well, I don't know. I, you know, I don't, I don't have all the answers, but I think that that you might, there's another way to think about that, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's a really, really good point. That's uh, kind of got me thinking about some things now too. And maybe that I didn't even realize about myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know we got, you got to get rolling. Um, but I did want to ask you, you had mentioned beforehand about something that you're working on with Sean Williams, um, as far as an instructional, for instructors uh, yeah, or so, not an instructional for no, instructors, uh, but a... well, we do the camp in Costa Rica. I've done that for, I think seven years, uh, yeah. poor Vita Jiu Jitsu camp. It's a website. Um, and, uh, Sean Williams, my main teacher, if you don't know Sean Williams, first of all, if you're in Jiu Jitsu, if you have any interest in Jiu Jitsu and you don't know Sean Williams, I don't know what you've been looking at or whatever, so, but cause he's on all over the place, but you should look him up and he's got it. He's a, he's one of the absolute very best teachers in Jiu Jitsu and very creative and, uh, um, you know, he's, he's a, he's, I always say he's a secret weapon of, of team Henzo Gracie, because, you know, all those, we've had a lot of really successful, um, competitors, world champions in MMA and in Jiu Jitsu. And I would say without exception, those guys, while maybe Sean's not their main influence, uh, you know, for example, like Danaher's guys, Sean has influenced those guys and, and, uh, technically. So, you know, if you're not looking at what he's doing, I think you're really selling yourself short in jujitsu. But yeah, we're, we're looking to do, um, Sean's also been a pretty successful uh, school owner and, you know, he's had different schools and different projects. He has carbine uh, uh, gear, jujitsu gear, it's the best jujitsu gear out right now. But um, he, we're doing, we, we've done this camp and it's just been for people to come down and do a lot of jujitsu and enjoy the beach lifestyle and things like that and get a lot of it's a small group camp. But now we're, we're going to do one for uh, school owners, I think. And it's going to be multifaceted and we're going to do a lot of training, uh, a lot of technical learning, but we're also going to do some curriculum development, some, uh, um, you know, ideas, bring in other guest speakers like uh, um uh, one of the ones I'd, I'd really like to bring in who's been a sort of a mentor to me as far as marketing, uh, John Swisher, he has Ronin uh, Marketing Advertising Agency, they're a national worldwide marketing agency. Um, and he's talking about how to how to build a brand, how to, uh, and then have some people talk about back end stuff, you know, how to run effective, um, how to have the right tools on the back end yeah. to run your schools and as you grow, you know, because it, I mean, it's right now, like you said, jujitsu is so popular. Anybody can, anybody that has any kind of work ethic can open up and, you know, get 50 or hundred students, but it's different to when you start really want to expand and do something that's going to be sustainable, you know, mm -hmm. over, over a lifetime, which is what I want to do. And I think, I think a lot of school owners want to do that. And I think it would help to have actual tools, not only like there's a lot of consultants out there and that's great. I think that's important, but, uh, not only just consulting because that's part of it, but have some tools just like you would with jujitsu mm. be like, you know, what tools do you need to be successful? Well, you have to know this technique, you have to understand this position and not, not, not everyone is applicable to every school. Every school has their own flavor. This, maybe this tool isn't going to work as well for this school because of this area. But, but I think that to have those tools, that's how you're going to be successful and you're going to grow a school to, you know, a thousand students or more and, in multiple locations and things, you know, things like that Sean and I have experience in. And, uh, and so, yeah, we want to do that and we want to get together on the beach and train and have fun with a bunch of other, you know, like-minded people. So that's so awesome to, and to think what would come from that. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like you going down to, you know, Brazil years and years ago has culminated in, I mean, I'm one of hundreds or thousands of people whose lives have been changed in some way, shape or form. And it's like, 
I just love the butterfly effect of, you know, you touching, you know, five, six other people, helping them maybe change their path trajectory of having something successful and what that means in 10 years. Yeah. And that's something I don't obviously think about that uh, very often or, or, you know, unless somebody like you you bring it up, but it's, I mean, that's such a great thing. I I feel it. And when everything else is said and done, I don't think, I I mean, I'm never going to be, I'm never going to be a spectacular or greatest competitor in the world, but I think that, and I think that, you know, who cares if you have even big schools, but I think in the end, I think it's going to be, you know, maybe in 20 years, I'll have somebody say, Hey, you, you really, I really like training at your school someday. And that's to me, to think about that. It's like, it makes me feel like, I'm doing something right, you know. So that's, that's... I love. It. Let's end it there. I, I to culminate that. I just got a message. Um, I put a post up, but I just think it's so cool and it speaks to this exactly. Um, I got a message from this guy from Gambia in Africa, and initially I know what everybody's thinking. They're like, "Oh, credit card scam or something." But they're like, "Hey, what's up?" And I usually never respond, but I was waiting for food over lunch, and so I said, "Hey, what's up?" started some dialogue and they said, listen to the podcast. And I'm like, wait, what? And I'm like, okay, let's just cut right to the chase. So I click video chat. And uh, sure enough, this guy pops up. He's standing in Africa. There's a field behind him, a hut, broken English, but listens to the podcast and wanted to reach out. And oh, I'm just like, so cool. how cool is that? Like, yeah. I'm some dude sitting here, you know, a small corner in Western Pennsylvania having conversations with just random people, just because of the things that, you know, I'll be driving and be like, you know what, I'm, and that's how some of these episodes have happened. I'm like, I really want to talk about, you know, climbing Mount Everest, who do I let's go find somebody. And then it's like, (laughs) to know that that thought process from my head ends up in somebody's phone and ultimately in their ears on the other side of the world is just like, wow. Well, I, I, podcasts have been so powerful for me, honestly. And that's why I'm, I was really glad that I could be on and love, I'm, first of all, I love talking to you. We don't catch up enough because we're both super busy. <laughs> know, this right? is like, you know, it's nice to sit down and talk for an hour, but also uh, I think podcasts have been so influential to me in so many different ways, like changing ideas that I have. I mean, your podcast is awesome. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the others. My, my, um, my current favorite is philosophize this. I love that one. It's just, philosophize it just, it's this. just a guy talking about philosophy and it's just, it's quick, quick episodes. Great. Uh, one of my other friends turned me on to it. Um, you ever listen to Dan Carlin? I, I love Dan Carlin. I like, uh, um, uh, what's the other history on fire is a great one. Uh, another history one. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's so many too. Like there's, there's so many great podcasts and you can just pick and choose like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm interested in this subject, you know, even like Joe Rogan, like I probably listened to in the last year, I probably listened to a handful of Joe Rogan because it's people I'm interested in, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, those ones are big commitment. You take, take a long time, but uh, um, you know, and, and, and uh, I, I just think that podcasts can, it's one of those things that can truly change your life and it's free other than the time you spend and, mm-hmm. And, and uh, you're spending time one way or another. Yeah. To your point. Yeah. Get yeah. on your lawnmower, put some headphones on. It's, it's, it has, man. It's all the same things that you just said. It's changed my perspective. And I've even gone back now and listened to some of the early podcasts. And I'm like, in two years, having conversations with different people who I probably disagreed with, I hear myself and I'm like, I can't believe that I said that two years ago. Yeah. I can't believe that I truly believed that two years so ago. So you changed what you, oh, you've with, changed your, your beliefs. Yeah. I, I think that's really important too. You know, uh, I, I, um, I, I think there's this, there's this thing where they think you either have to have strong beliefs or you have to never, and you have to never change them or, or you just have to be like, eh, whatever. I don't believe anything. I feel like I've been, I always try to be, take a, a, an ironist or skeptical mindset with my, with everything, you know, with my own, but at the same time, you have to strongly believe. So that's to your point, you might change in two years. I might not, I might not think the same thing. And everybody's like, Oh, what's wrong with him? He's kind of strange, but because it's hard for people to place you then, you know? Well, and I think there's sometimes it can, the lines can get blurred that like, I can be passionate and believe in something where it goes sideways is when people are disrespectful with that opinion. And it's like, I wouldn't be able to walk back a lot of my, and I've, I've actually learned this the hard way. There's some opinions that I've shared with people and I was probably pretty disrespectful about how I shared it. Uh And so now that I actually have recognized the error in my ways, 
it doesn't hit like if I come back and say, Hey, I changed my mind. It's, I feel like it's cheapened a little bit because I was so arrogant and flippant about how I approached it. And that's made me even where I am very confident in things, try to dial it back a little bit and say, Hey man, you might get some information in the next six months that makes you look like a fool and you won't be able to walk that back as quickly. That's a great point. I think just, just that is, and I think that's, that's been missing a lot in, you know, our, everybody's dialogue. Mm -hmm. It seems like, especially the last two years is like, you know, yeah, just be, be respectful and know that like, you know, I, I have very strong opinions. I think a lot of people probably wouldn't like me if they knew some of the things, some of my opinions. You know, I know they wouldn't. I, and and it's just even stuff we've touched on before, yeah. stuff your podcast has touched on before a lot, uh, different episodes. And and it's it's these things where people is like, you know, say, oh, this is no, it's that's an opinion I have because of all the values and the way I grew up. And and you know, is it mean? Um, there's more to me than that opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and that opinion can change if I'm experiencing change. different things. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But, but, you know, especially in the political realm, people think it's like, you know, you have to think this, or you have to think the same as me or, or, you know, that, that always bothers me too. When people say like some jujitsu figure or something, will say something that's, you know, has have an opinion on something. Maybe it's, mm-hmm. maybe I don't even like it, you know, or maybe the pe- people don't like it. And they're like, well, I never want to be around them or train with them, or we need to not have them anymore in jujitsu community or denounce them. And I'm like, no, that's, that's not the way it is. It's, you know, you can do jujitsu with somebody who you don't agree with on, you know, I do it every day. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I go into mats and train with people where we're simulating, like breaking each other's limbs and trusting each other to tap out and, and, you know, I may completely disagree with that person. Yeah, you yeah. might have voted for somebody different. I it's like, have, holy you know, shit. You know, like what? And, and that's, I think that's a great thing about jujitsu uh, that, that if, if, and that's why I, I'm so adamant about that at my schools. Like I, I will not tolerate any disrespect of, on any side or whatever of, of any opinion, you know, like, because that's not the place for it. We're, 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 you know, simulating murder, you know, we're not, you, we can't have, we have to respect each other, respect tapping. We have to, we have to respect at least on that level, you know, whatever their opinion is. And I think that's awesome. I think that's another one of those subtle lessons you just, you can teach that if it's done in that way can teach that, you know, it's hard to know until you do it, but it's very real. If you roll with somebody that you, you know, if you had a conversation with them, you'd probably be blood would be boiling, but, mm-hmm. but you can strangle each other and tap and slap hands and smile. And that's, that's it. It shows you how many people need to get hit in the mouth. That's <laughs> probably what <laughs> that, it is. That's true. That's true. Dude, this was great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. This Thanks is, for having uh, me on. And, uh, I'll see you, uh, I'll see you on the mats maybe tonight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. You up in, up north. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I might swing up then. All right. Good stuff, man. I appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Justin. Of see course. You.